following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Broadcasting from deep inside the forests of Arborea, welcome to Flash Gordon Minute. Presenting your hosts, survivors of the Wood Beast Trial, Brad and Eric. It is minute 102, and as always, I am joined by my partner and friend, Eric Deutsch, who is, it turns out, close personal friends with rap, with rap legend DMC. Eric, how are you? <laughs> I, well, I don't know that a five-minute conversation makes me close personal friends with him, but in a dreamland, I am close personal friends with DMC. Uh, but I am wondering, though, Brad, what my wife would have done if, uh, during our wedding, I had made very misogynistic and inappropriate vows... And I'm thinking I wouldn't sound like DMC right now. I'd be speaking probably in a very high falsetto. Oh, you still wouldn't be speaking. He's like, well, the teeth haven't quite healed themselves yet. But uh, we, ha- we have a fantastic guest, as we always do. Boy, I, folks, Flash Gordon Minutes where you come to hear the great guest. And uh, it, the street continues. Who, who is with us this week, Eric? We have with us from Earth's Mixtape, Mike Dunlavy. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minutes. Thanks very much, guys. I'm glad to be here. Uh, really excited to have you, and uh, we're, we're going to have just... You, you got some great minutes. You you got some great minutes. You got a lot of great queen. You got some uh, great laser shooting, and uh, in the 80s, the, the, the tropiest trope of the 80s, the, the wacky wedding. The wacky wedding, the ring gag. It's it's. I, I, I can't thank you enough for these amazing minutes. Well, yeah, let's let's uh, let everyone know right off the bat that Mike uh, requested these specific minutes. And the reason that um, I gave Mike his pick of the minutes is because in an alternate universe, Mike and I are the co-hosts of Flash Gordon Minute because he was actually my original partner on this. And then he had to step out. Uh, and that's where I then went and found Brad. So because Mike had to step out, I was like, well, at least, you know, be a guest and choose which minutes you want. Uh, and so uh, here we are now this week. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I was I was sorry to not be able to do it at the time. I think we we met uh, basically on the Star Wars Minute Listener Society. Yes, that's right on Facebook. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it was it was very tempting, uh, but it turned out I wouldn't have the time to do it in the last year. But congratulations to you guys, Minute One Hundred Two. You guys are going well. It, it's been a great experience. We were doing, uh, and it's come out great. We we are uh, just recently coming off of our lone break in uh in the in broadcasting uh we were so far ahead eric and then we just had a couple weeks off and a couple weeks off and next thing you know it was like i had to email he's like we are out of episodes yeah 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 it's 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 a common uh speaking of tropes it's a common trope in the minute movie by minute makers world that you know you try to build up as many weeks ahead of time as you can so that you'll you're guaranteed to never have a break, and well, the best laid plans of mice and men, and all that. You know, uh, we take a week off here, we take a week off there, and suddenly we had a couple weeks we had to take off, and 
lo and behold, there there was a there was a little bit of a lag, but here we are back, near it, it, you know, gutting to the end. It's only going to matter to the people who listen day by day. Like in the end, you're going to have the whole repository online, and it's not going to make a difference. That's right. If you're listening to this now, uh, in the future, and not when we are posting these live as is. You don't even know what we're talking about. You're actually a little tired of us talking about it. <laughs> uh, but very good. But but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about minute 102. So, Eric, start us off. What happens in this minute? Well, right at the end of uh, our last episode last week, we did indeed start the wedding, the forced wedding of Ming and Dale. And so here we are uh, getting uh, the bulk of it uh, now here in this minute. Uh, and I love how... Uh, as the priest says, you know, your empress of the hour. I, I just love the way Ming goes of the hour. Yes, great, great line reading there by Max. All his line readings there are basically deliciously evil. <laughs> like of the hour, yes, certainly. Uh, every response, he's just digging into it, and uh, it's amazing. And yeah, the worst wedding vows in the history of cinema. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's just terrible well yeah well, the, Com- I mean, comically the, the, evil oh yeah i mean it's so it's so great the, the priest says you know not to blast her into space and and it and, you know ming shoots him a look you know that yeah. uh, on you know on first viewing it makes you think that ming is actually angry at the priest you know how dare you suggest that i would you know blow my wife into space but then the priest clarifies uh, uh, until such time as you grow weary of her and he's like uh yes of course you know turns out he was angry because he wants the option to blast her into space. He wasn't going to commit to not blasting her into space. Yeah, I, I, I feel he was, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the priest was uh, giving a dig on it because it's probably not the first time he's thought about, or maybe even he's shot a few previous uh, wives into space. Oh, I think he has. <laughs> it, it's probably hard to take off in a spaceship from Mongo without, like, hitting a couple of former wives on your way out. Yeah. Maybe the planes that carry the the, the everyone make merry banners uh, also perform some <laughs> cleanup. Uh, right, so. ha- have you guys talked about who's playing that priest? Uh, yes, uh, actually, it came up at the very end of uh, the last episode that this is uh, the this is the murderer from The Shining. Murder from The Shining. He was in Thunderball. He was in Temple of Doom. This guy, this guy is like one of those people who was, you know, just around London and doing bit parts and what was going on. Yep. There used to be um, a great website called Television Without Pity, um, which was basically did snarky recaps of TV shows, and it was really funny. And they actually, the people who ran the website, put out a book called "Hey, It's That Guy." And, oh yeah. And it was a wonderful book, just talking about you know. It, it, all the different actors in Hollywood that you sort of recognize, and it's like, hey, it's that guy. I can't quite put my finger on it, but the, it, and the, the, it even talked about the handful of actors who went from hey, it's that guy to actual stars. I think that they used the example of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was just sort of the sweaty, obnoxious guy in a thousand movies, and then somehow I maybe it started with um. Um, uh, Boogie Nights started becoming a name guy, and towards the end, end part of his career, he would actually be an above the title actor. So, uh, yeah, it, it, but this is one of those hey, it's that guy. Uh, if you watch a lot of movies, especially genre stuff in the uh, 
in the 70s and 80s and even a little before that, he's like, I'm pretty sure I seen him before. Mm-hmm. And I love those actors. I love the, you know, the the journeyman and the, you know, the, the actors who, they're not the stars, but gosh darn it, they, they make the most out of the roles and the movies wouldn't happen without them. And, and you know, they're, they're reliable, solid people, right? Because they're the ones who do keep getting called back to fill out a scene, like, you know, we need someone to perform the wedding. We need someone to, you know, be a general in the background. And you, you got to think there's like a casting director who just has a list of like, you know, the 10 people that is their uh, reliable go-tos. Right. Like they don't, they, it's, it's a role that, you know, is maybe only in two scenes, um, but it's two important scenes. And so you just, you want to know you can count on someone. You don't want to deal with a casting called a hundred people. Uh, let's just go get him and, and we'll put him in the, in that role. And, you know, we won't have to worry about it. So I have a, I have a question about the, the wedding and the wedding vows. Yes. Uh, at, at the very end, uh, Dale says, I do not. So is the wedding now invalid? <laughs> I tell you, she was answering a question that nobody asked. That is true. He had, the, the priest had not asked the, the priest simply said, Ming, do you take her? And he said, I do. He had not turned to her yet, so. Uh, so you're 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 suggesting that maybe Dale wouldn't have got the same questions to answer that Ming did. He might there might have been a separate set of questions for Dale. I don't think I don't think they would have asked Dale a question at all. <laughs> I, I I have a feeling that the Q and A section of this particular event is over. I mean, beyond the sort of comic evilness of the whole thing, uh, like it, it is really just an excuse to get all the characters together. Like, like, is there a reason for a wedding ceremony beyond, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a kid's movie and we, we want to have a, uh, uh, an obviously evil thing happening that a kid can understand. Yeah. This came up uh, a couple of weeks ago that there's no, the, the tension of the end of the movie here is that earth is going to be destroyed and flesh has got to get to Ming before earth blows up. And then suddenly there's this secondary tension created by, We've got to stop the wedding, but ultimately, there's really there's really no tension to the wedding because even if Dale ends up married to Ming, if Flash comes in five minutes later and kills him, then it doesn't matter they got married. You know, like there's there's really it's there's really no stakes to the fact that Dale is being forced to marry Ming at this particular moment. The stakes are sort of more longer term that if Flash fails, she's stuck married to him and and is going to have to be his slave. But within the context of the movie and the climax of the movie, there's really no stakes to it. Well, and that that leads to a question I have here in my notes. With like during all this, Flash is flying the rocket, uh, coming to quote unquote save the day. Uh, what's Flash's plan? Is Flash's idea that he's saving Dale? Is it that he's saving the Earth? Is it that he's stopping the wedding? Because I think he has a better chance at saving the Earth here than actually saving Dale, because he's really firing the rocket at her as well. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that as well. He's not exactly aiming. He's just kind of shooting, and she is standing right there with everybody. She is standing right next to him. So, so like, do you, do you think he has a – is this an all hope is lost? I just If I can just kill Ming, everything for everyone else will be okay? Is this a selfless act of heroism? Well, he does tell Voltan that he's staying in Ajax because uh, someone's got to fly the thing to make sure it gets in. So he's certainly willing to sacrifice himself, but he's got the countdown clock going. So I think his, he, he's, he's trying to save Earth and is willing to sacrifice himself to do that. I think until that clock hits zero, he's still hoping to some way save the Earth. Yeah, because he had that great line, that 
callback. And we were talking about, I think, last week where, you know, sacrificing his life for billions or whatever the expression was, but realizing that, uh, you know, that he's basically doing, you know, doing Hail Mary, trying to save the earth. Um, he's definitely aware that the wedding's going on because, you know, he, he flipped to the right talk radio station. <laughs> right. And, and like the good quarterback he is, when all hope is lost, you go for the Hail Mary. Well, as a Jet, it's the first time ever that he has a successful Hail Mary. <laughs> you guys have talked about how it's kind of funny that he's with the Jets. Oh, uh, we have spent the entire show goofing on the Jets. We both love to make fun of the Jets. So Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm from Philadelphia. We're very close to the Jets. Same, same colors. Same, yeah, same colors, and we've had a couple of... What's most infamous is one of the worst coaches in Eagles history was Rich Kotite. And Kotite got fired from the Eagles and was immediately hired by the Jets. And so he probably didn't, he probably didn't even have to sell his house. He just was like, oh, I have just a slightly different commute now. And everyone in Philadelphia is like, why are they hiring this guy? They, you, you can't tell he's terrible. And he ended up being terrible. Now, I, I apologize if you if you covered this already, uh, but do you think they chose him to be as Flash to be as quarterback of the Jets because nobody would re- really have known who was quarterback of the Jets at the time? <laughs> you know, we like, have... he, he couldn't he couldn't have been quarterback <laughs> of the Cowboys because everyone knew Roger Staubach was the quarterback of the Cowboys. Everyone knew Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback of the Steelers. So let's pick. You know, he was either this or the Buccaneers or something. Right? Like, <laughs> the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, we have we. It has come up a lot about why is why why was the Jets the team that was chosen? Um, we've never found anything online about you know why that was. It's, it's got to be a clearance thing in the end. I, I mean, it? I guess so. I mean, it certainly is odd. You know, we looked. You know, uh, uh, way back early in the show, we looked into you know what was going on with the Jets when this movie was made, and they sucked then too. So it's not like they chose, like you said, the Cowboys or the Steelers, one of the teams that was the premier teams of the time. I mean, maybe it was just as simple as you know the the screenwriter's favorite team. I mean, who knows? You know, or the or the one team that you know would allow them to use their name, but, but <laughs> wouldn't demand that Flash had to wear their shirt. Because it was a no, it was it was you know, Flash had to wear a shirt with his name on it. The, the is what's crazy is the rules for this stuff, and they've just gotten crazier and crazier. And um, I, I remember I worked for a, a sports apparel company for a period of time that actually supplied and created uniforms for the uh, Batman film uh, Dark Knight Rises. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, the football, the football, with the football, yeah. Sure. Yeah, the football scene. And one thing, if you watch that, of course, it was like the Gotham Knights versus the Metropolis, whatever. Uh, but the Gotham Knights, their uniforms were uh, the colors of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, the company I worked for was based out of Baltimore. Anyone who does a Google search can figure out who I work for, but you know, I won't say their name. Um and it was based in Baltimore. So Baltimore, they hated the fact that they had to do it in Steelers colors. But the thing is, they filmed that scene in Pittsburgh. So for them to allow them to film the movie there, even though they weren't playing, they weren't playing as the Steelers, they had to have Steelers colors because, like, you're you're doing this in Steelers Stadium, we have to have Steelers colors. It's like, but that doesn't make any sense. It's like we have to have Steelers colors. It's like, all right, there's all sorts of crazy rules and stuff, and. And it, and it, you know, it didn't matter to the film what colors they were wearing. So, no, it just irritated a bunch of people working on. The, <laughs> the, 
don't we just slip some purple in here? Come on, Ravens. So I, I'll, I'll say, like, um, getting back to the movie, that shot of Flash flying the rocket um, while it's being broken up, while it's being destroyed, there's a great musical cue edit where the soundtrack is going, you know, uh, king of the impossible, he'll save every one of us, whatever. But when Queen goes king of the impossible, just at the impossible, they cut to the dashboard of the rocket being completely on fire. And it really, I think, sells the uh, this is this is this is a seat of the pants operation. Yeah, and I and I, I there, there's um I see I see exactly what you're talking about. And there's a second uh, use of sound in this a minute when Flash is flying that that stood out to me. I liked how when they went back to him, they slowly the the noise of the countdown clock slowly starts fading up as as we're as the camera's looking at Flash, and then it cuts to the clock and we see there's a minute 34 left and i thought it was a nice use of bringing in the sound up slowly first to remind you that clock is ticking and then actually showing you the clock also uh that is good stuff there's a lot of good technical stuff in this movie like i i really think that there were there were some very clever people working on this uh who weren't just treating it as a throwaway uh kids movie oh absolutely the designs are so beautiful uh, at times, and sometimes the attention to detail is fantastic. Sometimes it's not there. Um, but yeah, just you're right. Little things like that. Also, uh, I got a kick. You know, the few seconds that we see Flash, uh, you can tell it's getting tense because it's the most his hair has moved <laughs> in the entire movie. I, I I have this note: a lot of wind work acting for Sam. <laughs> he's he's staring into a full-on wind machine for a good ten seconds in this minute. Oh, uh, and and as someone who has very uh, eyes that are very sensitive to wind, that makes my eyes all tear up with the slightest wind. I I, I really feel for him in this scene. Now we don't actually get a lot of flash in this minute. Uh, you know, just him. You know, the wind machine working overtime. A lot of this is just on the wedding. And, man, it just reminds me looking at this. It's like It seems like every movie in the 70s or 80, 80s had a wacky wedding scene. I feel like it started with uh, The Graduate. And I don't think I've seen a lot of wacky weddings since the first Shrek movie. Does that, does that match up with what your guys' recollections? If you're um, suggesting this film has the same ending as The Graduate, you've just blown my mind. Because <laughs> it kind of does. Well, there's uncertainty about the future, right? There's uncertainty about the future at the end of both of them. It's like just what Dustin Hoffman really wanted to do, but he just wasn't man enough to do it. Right. It's the difference between a movie from the late 60s and a movie from the early 80s. Well, I mean, Wacky Wedding, I'm, uh, The Princess Bride's the first one that popped in my head. Princess Bride was a good one. Uh, I also thought Beetlejuice. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Spaceballs. Uh, six, uh, uh, Sixteen Candles. Oh, gosh, yeah. They, they were in all the movies. Why did that happen so often? And why has it stopped? I mean, is it just they don't do really romantic comedies anymore? And that's something that there was a trope that was used in romantic comedies? or There there was that, you know, all through the 90s where they they kind of burned out the romantic, like the sort of classic romantic comedy format. And yeah, maybe there was just, okay, we like we, we, we sat through four weddings and a funeral. Maybe we don't need any more weddings for a little while. People people are also getting married less. Maybe it's 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 a thing where, you know. Are people getting married less? Did I just make that fact up? No, that's, I, I, I feel like I've heard that too. And they're definitely, 
even if it's not necessarily less, they're definitely getting married later. Yeah. It's amazing how many, you know, weddings. You know, I think when my parents' generation, everyone was married by the time they were 25. And now there's so many weddings that I've gone to, people in getting married for the first time, and they're 32 to 35. Yeah, and they've been together for eight years, and you know it's basically just an excuse to get all their friends together. It's it's not a do or die for our relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, heck, it, just to show you the difference from generation to generation, one of the biggest stories in the news um, the last six nine months was Prince Harry marrying uh, Meghan Merkel, and. They were both 36, 37 when they got married. Um, now, you just go back to the Prince Charles marrying Princess Diana. Now, Charles, I think, was maybe was 30. But Princess Diana, well, she was 19 years old. And nobody batted an eye of this very, very young woman marrying into the world. Because that's just what was done. It was showing how much the world's changed where nobody batted an eye about them being what we considered a little older uh, in, in that particular world so yeah so maybe and also uh just perhaps a thing where divorce is definitely more common than it was in the early 80s it, it was it was certainly on the uptick but the idea of you probably just had a little bit more feeling of permanence even though that's completely ridiculous but people's like oh no she's going to be married to him and now we're thinking like yeah well big deal i know people get married all the time it is a way of showing the stakes. Like you, you do have these parallel perils. You have the, the earth about to be destroyed and you have the wedding. Uh, they didn't have the budget to sell the cataclysm. So by, by having the wedding, you, yes. have, you now have a visual immediate. It involves the characters and it's not just some faceless mountain moon collision. Um, it does give an immediacy and a personal stake to the climax, which I think works. Definitely. It's having a big moment, but having all the tension and um, the, the focus of the movie on something comparatively small. Because blowing up the Earth is too big to think about and also really to show. Absolutely. Yeah. I am uh, going to now officially walk back my comments that I have made uh, about how there are really no legitimate stakes to uh, the timing of the wedding because I have completely bought the explanation Mike just gave of why we've got that there, and I like it, and so I'm, I retract everything I said. Ah, nice. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Feeling like I'm contributing now. <laughs> Flash Gordon Minute, where we listen. <laughs> We're the worst arguers ever. Is like, hey, as soon as we get any pushback, it's like, well, I see your point. <laughs> as a Canadian, I appreciate this. <laughs> Gosh, this show's just gone completely Canadian. There you go. This is actually going to lead to a lot of, like, Canada humor later, so everybody brace themselves. Uh, well, uh, I want to call out a couple of other specific things uh, going on in the wedding, because, you know, as we were talking about it, I just, I just really love how it is presented so humorously during this climax of the movie. You know, it's so serious for Dale. Flash might get blown up, or it's going to get blown up, and, and just all these great funny moments. So... Uh, we, we get to where they don't know where the ring is. And, you know, this, speaking of, you know, wedding tropes, this is obviously a very old trope. Oh, where's the ring? Where's the ring? Yet yet they really pull it off. And I think that, it, you know, they pull it off visually with the priest with the goofy face looking around. Where's the ring? He gets tapped on the shoulder. I just think he pulls it off. But he's looking. He, he, he Ming sticks his hand out. And the priest is saying, you know, all right, you know, let's get the ring. And 
the priest gets this just really focused look on Ming's hand, and he's just staring at Ming's hand for some reason. And I have never known what the priest is saying as he stares at Ming's hand, and so I, I tried to figure it out. The script online, he says the word Matsuna, M-A-T-S-U-N-A. I listened to it a bunch of times, and it sounded like Mastuna to me, switching the S and the T there. Uh, I googled both of those words. I got absolutely nothing. So I still don't know what the heck this guy is saying. Uh, this this is uh, right before he says, you know, the ring, the ring. He's saying this one nonsense word. Uh, you guys got anything at all here? Because I just love the fact that he's saying some strange word under his breath, and I absolutely cannot figure it out. I can't help you. I was just struck by the ridiculousness of the ring, the ring. I was like, okay, so people thought to have the banners flying, <laughs> but nobody thought to have the ring. Well, the, that weird guy in the background in the hood has it. It's just the priest doesn't okay. know who has it, you know? Those guys in the background in the hood are super creepy. We can all yeah, agree yeah, on that, right? Oh, oh, those yeah. guys are terrifying. Yeah, I wouldn't want them standing up there on the altar at my wedding. <laughs> no, that is a bad omen. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it's it's the the... When they're trying to build this tension of, with the rocket coming, the music's going, the the clock is ticking, the the wedding's happening, to pause for the for the ring gag uh, is is pretty brave to to put it nicely. Another trope that you see all the time, the, the where's the it's it's funny seeing all these rom com tropes just thrown into a sci fi movie. It's like oh boy, somebody forgot the ring. It's like but the guy who got the ring isn't like. The drunken best man who uh, slept with the married le- uh, married uh, uh, maid of honor and didn't realize it. Who's disheveled, possibly cha- played by a young James Bel- uh, John Belushi. It, no, it's a guy you know wearing basically a Darth Vader outfit in the background. It's like that's ah, that's fun. It's fun. It's it's, fun. it's a kids. It's in the end. It's a kids movie, and I and I bet you know watching this as a kid, I loved that bit. Uh, yeah, there's something satisfying about seeing these over and over again. It it is a trope that got played out, um, which is probably why they stopped doing it. It's like uh, how many times are we going to see the same? To the point where it became a joke. You would see you would see the wedding. It's like oh boy, I wonder what's going to happen this time. If if I was to give the the filmmakers credit, I would say you know this is such a audacious scene right the emperor of the universe is marrying the earth woman while everything is being destroyed like making the the actual wedding ceremony from using the wedding march to uh any, everything else there's there's kind of a, there's there's a humor in that there's a humor in making that at this as as corny and as tropey a wedding as as you could put together oh definitely definitely and i think we i brad i, I think that the ming sticking the palm out waiting for the ring to me he is doing the opposite of what we've seen him do all movie his the patented finger flex oh yeah the weird hand movements this is what he's been flexing his fingers for the whole time it's like i gotta (laughs) get these fingers limbered up for the ring does anybody have a favorite wacky wedding from a movie probably princess bride for me i quite like the peter cook as the bishop doing the ceremony 
I'm going to go with a dream sequence in the uh, movie Casual Sex that Victoria Jackson has. Bold. Bold choice. And you, Brad? You know, it was it's already been called out, but uh, Princess Bride had a fantastic one. And uh, it, going with the... And the, the, you always had a priest with some sort of speech impediment, and then expecting you know the heroes to show up during the ceremony, and they don't. But then, of course, it, it turns out, oh, you know, as the charm of Princess Bride is like, oh, but they actually ne- didn't officially marry you. And it's, it was great. It was it was sort of clever, and I just love that movie. Uh, a huge Princess Bride fan. So, so um, Mike, t- talk to us a little bit about your sh- about your stuff. Plug your pluggables. Myself and a couple of colleagues, uh, Roby Austin and Hannah Ayler, did a podcast called Earth's Mixtape. Uh, it was a limited run podcast, and it's now finished. And it's we went through the Voyager Golden Record. So this was the record they put on Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, uh, containing music and photos and other ephemera about life on Earth. Uh, gets a lot of press. It's this great thing that uh, NASA did, but we felt nobody's actually gone through it track by track, picture by picture, and talked about it. So that's what we did, and it's about 19 episodes, and I invite anyone to go look at it where they find podcasts. Well, we recommend everyone check that out. Um, It's just such a cool idea. And we're looking forward to having you for the rest of the week. Uh, This is really uh, very cool stuff. Eric, while we're, while we're talking about where people can go for stuff, where can people go to find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Well, they can go on Facebook and chat with us in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. You can go on Twitter and chat with us, Flash Gordon Pod. And you can go on email and chat with us, FlashGordonMinute at gmail.com. Uh, we ask for everyone's ratings and reviews on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more um, people that can find out about us and uh, can join the fun. And it is a lot of fun but not everything's fun eric i know i know it's uh you know just realizing having this conversation and mike's awesome and you know and it, it was uh you know it was such a shame that he wasn't able to to be part of flash Gordon. and i realized and you sort of said it's like you know in another world you would be doing this show with him and i realized oh my god eric what if what if this is the dark timeline <laughs> well uh if you're worried that you're living in a world where uh the scarlet witch has uh, altered reality and allowed magneto to take over the world or if you're living in a world where spock has a goatee don't worry about it flash will save every one of us attention listeners follow us on twitter on flash gordon pod Join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for the next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.